comes to educating our black boys, we could be doing a whole lot better as a system, as a system of education. And some of the things that we can do actually don't even take that much of a lift. All it requires are the right intentions and a little bit of work. And of course, there are some issues that are completely complex and is an all-hands-on-deck type of situation to solve. But there are some things you can do as a ruckus maker that are low-hanging fruit that will change everything for your students of color and specifically your, your black boys. Lucky for you, today's guest wrote a book called My Seven Black Fathers, and he talks about the importance of mentorship, the importance of uh, seeing teachers that looked like him, that spoke encouragement into him, saw his value and called out his gifts. And these are things that we can do and we can provide for our black boys. This is an awesome discussion. It's a great book. Highly recommend that you pick up a copy of My Seven Black Fathers. And I hope you really enjoy the show. Enjoyed as much as I enjoyed having this conversation with Will Jawando. Hey, it's Danny, Chief Ruckus Maker over at Better Leaders, Better Schools. And this show is for you, a ruckus maker, which means you uh, invest in your continuous growth, you challenge the status quo, and you design the future of school now. And we'll be right back after a few messages from our show sponsors. Learn how to successfully navigate change. Shape your school's success and lead your teams with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get world-class Harvard faculty research specifically adapted for pre-K through 12 schools. Self-paced online professional development that fits your schedule. Leading Change runs from February 15th to March 15th, 2023. Apply by Friday, February 3rd. Enroll by Thursday, February 9th. Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. TeachFX helps educators see how their instructional practices lead to student talk and learning in both in-person and live online learning for any subject at any grade level. See TeachFX for yourself and learn about special partnership options for ruckus makers at teachfx.com slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Ruckus Makers, we're here today with Will Jawando, who's an attorney, an activist, a community leader, and a council member in Montgomery County, Maryland, a diverse community of more than 1 million residents, called the progressive leader we need by the late Congressman John Lewis. Jawando has worked with Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Senator Sherrod Brown, and President Barack Obama. His writing has appeared in the Washington Post, in The Root, and on BET.com. And his work has been featured in the New York Times, in New York Magazine, and on NPR, NBC News, and MTV. He regularly appears on CNN, MSNBC, and other media outlets. Will, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to, good to be with you, Danny. Thanks for having me. This is such an honor to be speaking with you today. And I want, I want to start 
uh, going back in your history where you're at a, a Catholic university, from what I remember you telling me, you wanted to found the first NAACP chapter there, but the school denied it. They said no, right? And this they was did. your first experience with activism. So what, what can a ruckus maker who wants to cause good trouble in their school learn from your experience? Well, you know, um, it's funny. I was just at Catholic University yesterday speaking to a class of undergrads, political science and sociology undergrads. So brought back all these memories. Yeah. And I think number one is, you know, have have good intentions to start. Mm. You know, like when I started this, uh, had got the made up my mind to start this chapter of the NAACP, it was totally just to advocate for the rights of the workers in the university mostly African-American at a school that was predominantly white and who were being mistreated by the administration uh, and had been complaining to me Uh, and to help bring together a fragmented African-American group of students, you know, to organize and advocate. And so I had, I had good intentions. I wanted to help somebody. And I think when you're trying to make good trouble as, as uh, my late departed mentor, John Lewis would say, you got to have good intentions. Um, And, and so that's number one, come in uh, kind of like with a pure heart, you know, clear eyes. And then, but also uh, be willing to stick it out. <laughs> you know, uh, it took me six months from kind of having the idea to do the chapter to doing all the paperwork, student life office, getting students to pay money to, to be in the chapter, all that stuff, only to then be denied, as you so eloquently uh, stated. You know, they just, they didn't allow the chapter. And, and then- when you get smacked in the face, when you're trying to do something good, don't give up. And, and I, and we kept going, we protested, you know, for three months over the summer, hundreds of direct action protesters all over the school. And we got the chapter. Um, and the last thing I'd say about being a ruckus maker or doing, or, you know, getting involved in good trouble is you got to stick with it. And even after all this, all the excitement dies down. So we had this big moment and we had hundreds of students at the first chapter meeting you know, but six months after that, then it was, you know, the core group of students who still wanted to be involved, who still wanted to do the work. And, and that is equally as important as those high moments. Um, so so that's what I would say, you know, just come into it with the, with good intentions, stick with it when it gets difficult and then commit to the long, hard work when no one's looking. Uh, that actually will be what I think ultimately helps people. And now we were able to organize and get our workers at that university unionized. Uh, under SEIU, and they still are today. So just uh, encapsulating some of those principles out of that experience. And I, I got hooked on it, and I, I'm still doing it. Can we pull on the thread of uh, good intentions for a minute, too? Because, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's nice to have them, right? And, <laughs> of course, we want to have leaders that have the right heart about the work, have the good intentions and service and all this kind of stuff. I'm, I'm wondering, like, in your experience, what you've learned about you know, maybe communicating those good intentions or how do you get people to believe that you actually have good intentions, right? Like their best in mind. And it's not some type of uh, angle that you're, you're working with. Yeah, that's difficult, but important, you know, mm-hmm. coming, especially in the context of, of school leaders too, you know, we all say, you know, at least most people say um, we're here for the kids, but you have to really, I think uh, one, State your good intentions. If you're someone saying them to you, interrogate that in a way and, and say, are their actions lining up with what they're saying? Um, mm-hmm. And and I think a lot of times there's a big disconnect between what comes out of people's mouths, obviously, and what they actually do and how they go what about they do. Yeah. 
what how they go about achieving those good intentions, right? Are they collaborative? Mm-hmm. Uh, are they kind? Do they uh, include other people? Are they not self-seeking? You know, all those things are are important. And uh, and I think um, that translation point from you know stating them, but then again, how do you how do you carry that out? Are you, do you do it in a way? that brings people in or pushes people away. That's important. How you get to the good intentions. A lot of people that want the right thing to happen, um, but how you get there is just as important as wanting it. So, which is, I think kind of where you're getting, like, it's not enough to just say, I want good things to happen. The process is important too. Process is important too. And then I'm thinking about like, sort of, that's the beginning. See people see that you have those good intentions and uh, you build trust relationships, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Uh, But, but now, all right, like you said, the excitement is worn off, but you're committed to the mission, right? And you have a vision of making this world a better place. Uh, and you talked about sticking with it. So what works for Will Jawanda when it comes to, you know, rubber hits the road, the excitement's run off, right? It's, uh, it's more challenging for you to stick with it, but you know that you're committed. So are there, are there any things that you do? Uh, I don't know if there's mantras or, yeah, yeah where, how do you dig deep to stick with it? That's a great question. And I think, you know, you know, my wife is big on self-affirmations. You go in her bathroom, she's got all this, you know, the little stick it posty okay. notes, you know, I yeah. would say, so I say that to say, find what strategy works for you. Cause we all need some little something different. I like to meditate. I like to pray. I also like to get really involved at the, the most basic level of what I'm trying to do. So, I'll, and I'll give an example. Yesterday I'm on the education committee here in Montgomery County. Uh, it was national walk to school day. And so I went to a local elementary school and, you know, walked with some kids, interacted with them, asked them about their day, you know, like really base level, like, well, who are we here to help? These, these, these children are our future, literally, and try to connect to them and their families in a personal level and just Mm. and see if there's anything I can do to help, Um, you know, help, whether it be crossing the street that day or help with some sort of issue their family's dealing with. So I think going back to the root of why you started, whatever year is. So if you're a teacher, you know, helping that kid after school or doing that extra parent-teacher meeting, like going, going to, you know, if you're a, a school leader, bringing together your folks and kind of talking about first principles, about why you're there, letting people share their stories. You know, I think you have to reignite the the reason you're passionate about what you're doing and, and remember it. I think for me, that always helps. Just when I'm right about tired of the politics, tired of the drama, tired of the, the, yeah. the criticism, something comes in to remind me of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I, and I think those things for me uh, are really motivating and keep, and keep me going. Right. It reminds me of a quote, I think, uh, from Victor Frankl. I don't know that I got it word for word, but I know I have the essence from a man's search for meaning. But I think he talked about how man's pushed by his drives, but pulled by his values. And when you're talking about those first principles, those core values, the reason you got into this, right? That's what that what that's what gets you through it. So uh, that's that's so good. Thank you, Will. We're actually gonna we're gonna travel further back into your past. <laughs> and you were telling me you went to five schools before seventh grade, right? Yeah. And, and many ruckus makers listening will have students that have a similar experience. I'm curious, you know, what worked for you and what didn't in terms of uh, how the schools may have seen you and heard you in those moments. Uh, you know, I don't want to put too many words in your mouth, but I, I, I can only imagine that that's um, difficult, right? A challenge to go to so many schools in uh, such a short amount of time. So yeah, can you, can you add to that? Yeah. And it, and it wasn't just, uh, Danny, it wasn't just the the schools. That was one thing, you know, the kind of 
trying to all the normal things when you move a school friends, you know, I didn't really have a friend until fifth grade, like a real consistent, consistent friend. And, you know, so, you know, all the things that come from that, you know, the, the, the housing situation, my parents were divorced, you know, all those surrounding things that are under why kids have high mobility, right? Why they're moving financial struggle, whatever it is. But then I was also coming out of schools where, I was dealing with like structural and systemic and individual racism, you know, like, uh, you know, I was the only black kid in my class for second and third grade uh, at this and uh, really was, you know, disproportionately disciplined, was recommended to go on medication. So I was, I was starting to believe the things we know data shows like the disparate suspension and expulsion and discipline for students of color, for example, particularly, you know, black children and I was starting to believe coming out of third grade, the negative things that were being told, said about me, that maybe something mm-hmm. was wrong with me. Maybe I, I wasn't smart or I, I was a troublemaker. And so that was the danger too, that I was starting to believe the lies. Right. And I think I thank God I had, you know, Mr. Williams, one of my seven black fathers in fourth grade at Oakville elementary in Silver Spring, who was like a, Knight in shining armor for me was the first teacher to my only black male teacher, but the first teacher to kind of see value in me and and really help build my self-esteem back up at a point where it's critical. So I, you know, I had I had key folks like him. Obviously, my mom was big and recognizing what was happening and, and moving me, you know, even though it was, you know, to be moved is traumatic in and of itself, but to stay sure. in a toxic situation is even worse. So I think you know, there were multiple actors that helped pull me out of that. And then I mentioned my, my best friend, Calfani, who I meet in fifth grade on the basketball court um, at yet another school. But he's the first one kind of peer mentor that connects with me. And we we uh, become, you know, really good friends and teammates and, and our friends for until he unfortunately passes away when we're coming out of high school. But but yeah, there, it was a combination, you know, a great teacher, a friend, my mom that helped get me through what is what was a very difficult time. What were those things that teachers said that, that communicated to you that you had value? Yeah. So, um, you know, Mr. Williams, uh, even though he's a math teacher, he was, he also taught us other things, right? Like, so he would, he would allow us to be inquisitive, right? So one of the mm-hmm. things that was a big difference between second and third grade and fourth grade for me is that like, that which could be interpreted, you're not on task, right? Like you have a question that may be tangential or not related. There's there's a couple of ways that, to answer that. Hey, stay on task, stop being distracted. Or you could say, hey, you know, that's interesting. You know, they also did this. You could find a way to work it into what you're talking about or mm-hmm. a, a broader lesson or pause for 30 seconds to just acknowledge that moment. You know, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about the civil rights movement. We talked about working together. Like we talked about professional dress. We talked about a whole bunch of things that weren't math related in math class. Um, but they helped us be uh, collaborative and to be acknowledged and to feel valued and seen. And I think, you know, those strategies uh, I hadn't experienced until I got into his class and, and it was, it was, it was really helpful. Right. So you, you mentioned your book, my seven black fathers, which we, uh, we highly recommend that ruckus makers, pick up and get it today. Uh, you told me that the core thesis is that relationships with black men and boys has a superhuman power to combat structural racism and inequity. 
I think you started to illustrate uh, that idea. But is there anything else that you'd like to to add? Um, that would be a yeah. Good time. yeah. Yeah, I think the the premise of this book, and while it's I think applicable to anyone, because we all have mentors, mothers, fathers, uh, aunts, uncles, special people that have stepped up and made us who we are, given us the skills, the love, the attention, the care to become the people we are. In the lives of black boys, the the data, the sociological and data also shows, and my personal life experience, which I talk about in the book, shows that, you know, for example, on the data side, if, if a, a, a black student has a black teacher in elementary school, they're going to have higher grades in middle and high school and be on track to graduate. Mm-hmm. That's just a fact. But when you dig beneath that, you know, things like that, what Mr. Williams gave me, the intangibles, you know, the 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 care, the respect, seeing the value of seeing someone like you in a setting of authority and, uh, you know, prestige, just, you can't, uh, oversell that. You can't over, you know, overvalue that. And, you know, so I think that these relationships, particularly for black men and boys who are at the bottom of the pe- of the pecking order, as far as the system of mm-hmm. institutional and structural racism that was created, uh, to devalue and denigrate, black people to justify chattel slavery, our economic system that built the country at the bottom of that totem pole were black men and intentionality was put in to tell us in the world at large who and what we are, which most of which was Mm -hmm. negative. And so we're still counteracting that. And the, some of the, we all need to work to do that. But when you have the presence of engaged black men in the lives of black boys and men, I personally can attest that it has a, a superhuman like power. And the study I write about in my book bears that out too, that one of the factors in where you have these black boy safe zones where black boys from the Mm -hmm. same neighborhood as white boys uh, in this longitudinal study that looked at IRS and census data, one of the things in these 1% zip codes where black boys and white boys are doing similarly well economically 40 years later, only 1% of the country is that happening, which is devastating. But one of the mm-hmm. things in those zip codes is that they had a higher percentage of working class black fathers in them that were able to engage with these young men. And I grew up, my mom worked in one of these zip codes, these safe zones. So I meet mm-hmm. several of my seven black fathers there. So I personally can attest to it, but you also have a building body of research that shows it. And the, the premise of this book is that we all need these relationships, but they can be particularly potent and powerful for black men and boys, and we need to have and enable more of them. Right. I think I shared, you know, a little personal information with you during our pre-interview, and I'm interested in uh, my seven black fathers because I think about my future kids, right? That'll be biracial and what I can learn from your experience. And then I, um, I think, too, about my wife's experience growing up in Zimbabwe, and she's like, listen, the president, the bankers, the lawyers, the doctors, everybody looks like me, Right. And what, what, uh, I guess the value, just the value of that, you know, and I think you're talking about that in the 1% zone, you know, uh, and where you met some of your, um, seven black fathers. So, you know, when it comes to creating more equitable schools, obviously like a, a very, I won't say easy, but a thing that every ruckus maker needs to do is to find awesome black educators that can, uh, be there for black students, right? Um, but other than that, you know, what what would you challenge the ruckus maker listening to do to create a more equitable school? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I don't want to undersell what you just said, though, that, you know, there's Mr. Williams and teachers like him, black male teachers, you know, black teachers make up 8% of the teaching workforce. 
but right. black male teachers make up 2% of the teaching workforce. Yeah. And, right. you know, an intentional strategy to recruit, retain, compensate uh, black male teachers and black teachers in general, that is a, a important strategy that not enough time and attention and money goes into. That's a, so yeah. I just want to say, restate that. That's an important strategy in the, in the school context for sure. But there's other things, um, you know, after school programs, wraparound services from nonprofit providers, you know, every kid who needs it and all kids do should have something constructive to do after school in those critical hours that the after school Alliance tells us three to six, that's when kids are going to either get in trouble or not stay on task and not learn or not. And, and we're still arguing about like, we still have these deserts of, you know, after school programs where kids, so many kids don't have access, um, you know, and, and that's a, a policy decision and a personal decision where they're going to interact with some of these positive mentors, youth sports, another vein of that, right? That's why I'm a big proponent of youth sports. It's another mm-hmm. place where kids often can meet these mentors in an intentional way. So, uh, and then just a personal responsibility. Like one of the calls to action in my book is that sure. like, if you know these kids and young people, whether you're a teacher or a parent or administrator, you know, we need to be enabling these relationships. And and if you're a, a, a person yourself, like all of us should be doing this, but particularly if you're, you know, a, a black male, for example, every young child you meet, you can have a mentoring moment, a positive interaction. Because I, I truly believe that the aggregate of these interactions can change lives. Imagine if every conversation, every interaction that a young child is having with someone who looks like them is, is someone who's giving them encouragement pouring something mm-hmm. into it, being positive, that um, aggregate has has a power to it. And I think we need to think about it like that too. Yeah, Ex- exponential power, right? All those deposits being put into those uh, students. I mean, yeah, I can't multiply it over time, right? The impact is, is incredibly significant. Well, I'm, I'm loving this conversation. Uh, we're going to pause really quick for some messages from our sponsors. And when we get back, I'd love to ask you about the difference between a decision kid versus a destination kid. Learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school success, and empower your teams with Harvard Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get online PD that fits your schedule. Courses include leading change, leading school strategy and innovation, leading people, and leading learning. Apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. School leaders know that productive student talk drives student learning, but the average teacher talks 75% of class time. Give your students more opportunities to learn in class by monitoring talk time. Check out TeachFX for yourself and learn about the program. Uh, TeachFX helps educators see how their instructional practices lead to student talk and learning. And you can learn more at teachfx.com slash BLBS. And today's show is proudly sponsored by Organized Binder, a program which gives students daily exposure to goal-setting, reflective learning, time and task management, study strategies, and organizational skills, and more. Organized Binder's color-coded system is implemented by the teacher through parallel process with students, helping them create a predictable and dependable classroom routine. You can learn more and improve your students' executive functioning at organizedbinder.com. And we are coming back with Will Juwando, who is wonderful and so accomplished. And he's got a new book out, which we want you to pick up. It's called 
My Seven Black Fathers. There's the cover. Show it. All right. <laughs> Wonderful book. Highly recommended for all ruckus makers. And uh, yeah, please check that out because Will's doing some great work and his story is super powerful. So I promised uh, before the break, I want to ask you about a decision kid versus a destination kid. Um, I think I know you alluded to it a little bit uh, earlier in the in the podcast, but can you break that down for us? What's a decision kid versus a destination? Kid? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I talk about it in, in in the book as well, and it, it's I use the example of my best friend Kalfani and I. That uh, Kalfani, I meet in the fifth grade. You know, middle school awkward time. He's he's better at me than everything. He's like the cool kid. He's good in basketball. You know, handsome, he's smart in class. I'm the opposite of all those things. I'm awkward. I'm not a good athlete. I'm wearing these big rec specs. So I'm just like the quintessential, you know, onlooker. I'm chubby at the time. And, uh, you know, Kalfani takes me under his wing uh, and, 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 and becomes one of my best friends and teaches me basketball. And, and one of the things that I learned over time is, you know, his mom is working two jobs. She's a night nurse and then she cleans houses in the wealthier part of town. So she's not home after school um, and she's not around and it's, and his dad wasn't in the picture and, and he's what I call a decision kid, you know? So when the bell rings at, at two forty, you know, he's figuring out every day where he's going to go. Uh, some days it was a good decision. Some days he went with me uh, to my mom's job because uh, I was a destination kid. I had a place to go. Uh, I had a structured environment and not only that, it was it was centered in one of these black boy safe zones in these zip codes where there's a larger percentage of, of mentors and black men and black fathers. I actually meet three of my seven black fathers at my mom's job, my stepfather mm-hmm. and two and the reporter there and a, the IT manager, uh, literally in the building that that I had a place to go and and I, I just I just think we often discount the kids who have places to go, whether it be sports or after school programs or places like a parent's job and kids who don't um, those decision kids versus destination kids. And some days Calfani made bad decisions because he didn't, there were people waiting for him to get him involved, things involved in things he shouldn't have been. And he ultimately loses his life in a drug deal gone bad. Uh, I think in part, maybe in large part to the fact that he didn't have uh, these types of mentors work a place constructive to go every day. And, and that's frustrating. We can do something about that, whether it be after school programs, whether it be child care, uh, whether it be making sure that parents can work one living wage paying job so that they can be home and be involved. There are policies, there are strategies in and outside the school building that can contribute to making more kids destination kids, which I think is something we need to do as a society and individually. Absolutely. Thank you uh, for sharing sharing that story. And uh, I think it just it pulls on some threads that we were already talking about throughout the conversation. Just in uh, most importantly, you know, that three to six, well, I don't know about most importantly, but that three to six, right, PM yeah. time, like it's a privilege to have somewhere to go, right? And they have that structured environment and then add on the mentor component and that kind of thing. Like what a gift a school system that takes that incredibly seriously to provide for all kids. Uh, what an opportunity there for ruckus makers. So, uh, Will, I'd love to invite you to answer, you know, the last three questions that all the guests uh, answer on the show. The first one being, if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world for a single day, what would your message be? Yeah, uh, it would say, welcome. You are smart. 
you are valued and you can do anything. And I've actually seen versions of that message on Marquis. Uh, you know, it's, uh, but I not not exactly worded that way, but I think it's just really important to. And I could, if I could, I'd put it in every language that's predominant in my in those communities. I think we, we want schools to be open. We want to be welcoming and we want to state right off the top what we're trying to do here. We're, we're going to bring you in. We're going to accept you. We're going to work to make sure that you know your value and that you know your potential and uh, and that you can accomplish it here. So those would be my messages. Brilliant. And a uh, shout out to um, Shabron Brookings. He's a black male educator. Uh, I worked with him for years. He's moved on from principal to uh, operations role within the district. Uh, but where he's at in Oklahoma, they have a they have a rule that you can only have one marquee by the school, right? And the reason I'm just bringing this story into our conversation is uh, he met in front of the board, city council, and that kind of thing, and he got approved a second marquee, which they just don't do. Uh, but based on traffic flow and this kind of stuff on one of his high school campuses, it was so important to him to communicate in both English and Spanish because those mm-hmm. are the language re- represented yeah. at his school just what's going on so everybody knows, right? And you communicate, I see you, I hear you. So I uh, appreciate, you know, what you shared there, Will. All right, now let's talk about your dream school. You have an opportunity to create this school. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would Will Jawando build his dream school? What would be the three guiding principles? Yeah, well, you know, this is like, I was thinking about this and we could probably talk about this all day, you know, but we're building a dream school. But one would be that every student starts the day ready to learn. And so a big part of that is food. You know, uh, you know, we, we had this one of the things during the pandemic that was so great from the federal government is we were able to provide, you know, breakfast, lunch and take home dinner to all students all the time for free. Uh, that has not is not the case anymore. So. I think we should have places where kids can come in early. If you need early care for people going to early shifts where they can eat, where they can kind of wake up, you know, socialize a little bit and get ready to start the day. Um, So I I think that's a critical component of just creating a welcoming space and making sure kids are ready to go uh, when they get in the building. And we need to compensate the people to be there and make sure we have the budget in place so that there can be supervision and everyone's paid appropriately. So on that child care piece. And then I would say, uh, we need to make sure uh, that particularly in our high, in all schools, but that there's resource resources to meet the kids, the needs of students, right? Whether it be an inclusive class where you have English language learners or, you know, you, where you have kids on the autism spectrum. I have a, a, a daughter who's autistic or you have other students with disabilities that you have the appropriate amount of lead teachers and paraeducators and others and supports in the classroom so that they can be everyone can have individualized instruction that's appropriate. And those, and we know the ratios are way out of whack right now. And that's, you know, that doesn't happen in most places. And then I would say, you know, so, so adequate staffing uh, and support for teachers so that they can also rotate and have planning time and, and be have professional development. And then the last thing that was something we were talking about uh, pretty much all this conversation that every school would commit to having robust uh, after school programming for every child mm-hmm. that, that, you know, that needs it. Obviously not everyone has to opt in, but a lot in our school district, we are in the 14th largest school district in the country in Montgomery County, over 160,000 students. Um, if there's programs, you got to pay for them. Um, and there are limited programs that are, that you don't have to pay for. We have some, 
but not enough. And I think that robust commitment uh, where you have this true community school model where it's where you can get all your family can get help with all the needs that they have. The school buildings open for most of the day and that we're not stressed. It's not that we're doing that and stressing out the providers that we're providing, having enough and paying enough so that those things can happen for all families. So I would, those would be my three food, proper resources for the adults in the building and after school programming. Uh, I, we could talk about it way more, but those would be my three kind of like big picture things for my dream school. Maybe on a second podcast. My last question will would just be, you know, first of all, thank you for being a guest and you're a true ruckus maker. We really appreciated you on the show today. Uh, of everything we talked about, we talked about a lot. What's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? I want ruckus members to remember that there is nothing too small uh, in the life of a child or an adult. Uh, we all have the ability to mentor. We all need to be mentored and loved and taught things. And whether it's a mentoring moment or a long-term mentoring relationship, uh, we all have something to give of value and to receive of value. And remember that. I think sometimes we complicate mentorship and we think that if you can't dedicate, you know, a hundred hours a month, that it doesn't matter. It matters. And you have something to value as imperfect as we all are. So that's what I would say is important to remember. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. Mm-hmm.